All right, well, it is, it is good to be once again in the house of the Lord. Um, this seems very strange. I mean, I just rushed out of our church. We, went, we hadn't even dismissed, and we gathered up everything, and I jumped in the truck. Not because I preached a sermon that was going to give me stones, but... Um, uh, this morning... I'm going to preach a, a sermon that, that I preached, it looks like back in January. Actually, it was the uh, anniversary, the two-year anniversary of my coming to Bow Eggs. And the, and the sermon title is, The Joy of Yahweh is Our Strength. And a lot of your versions is going to say, The Joy of the Lord is Our Strength. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, verses one or verse ten is where I'm really going to focus on. Uh, but if you would, would you stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord? And and I'm just going to read. I'm going to read verses one through twelve. So if you stand with me, it says, "And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they said to Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses." which Yahweh had commanded to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could understand when listening on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women and those who could understand, and all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah. And on his right hand there was Padiah and Mishael and Melchijah and Hashem, Hashbadana. There's some names if anybody's expecting. Zechariah, Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. And also Joshua, and Bani, and Sherebiah, and Jamin, and Achab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah the Levites were providing understanding of the law to the people while the people stood in their place. And they read from the book, from the law of God, explaining and giving insight, and they provided understanding of the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who provided the people with understanding said to all the people, This day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. And He said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to Him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And then all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, to celebrate with great gladness, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Father, just come before you this morning and I pray, God, that as you look down upon us, God, that you would get glory for yourself, that your word would be proclaimed, and that Christ would be magnified today. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The backdrop of where we're at this morning is that, you know, the Israelites, had, or the, you know, they had been in captivity for, for 70 years and then God had caused Cyrus to, to bring them back into their land and to rebuild the temple. And then they, they come in and they, 
they have rebuilt the wall that goes around the temple or around the city. And and this is what has happened. They, it's a day of celebration. And so they brought out all of the people that could understand and they proclaim all of the words of the Lord in their ears. And when the people, when they heard the words, they no doubt what they saw was they saw their disobedience, they saw their sin, and they began to mourn and they began to grieve and to weep. But, but they said, no, this is a day of, of rejoicing. This is a day that we should have joy in. Listen to how he says it again. This day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, Go eat the fat and drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. Have you... Do you have you considered any time in your life? Have you ever just been, you know, reading a passage like this and it says that the joy of the Lord or the joy of Yahweh is your strength? Church, do you realize that joy is one of the premier marks of a Christian? I mean, I want you to think about this for a moment. Listen to what he says. You don't got to turn there because I've got it written down. But in Romans 14, verse 17, it says, The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we talk a lot about you know, our being righteous with the Lord, and we, we talk about peace, but we don't hear a lot talked about when we just talk about joy. I want to ask you a question and just you don't nobody needs to answer out loud, but is joy, is it a mark of your life? Now I'm not talking about when you're coming to church on Sunday morning and you're newlyweds or you've been married a long time. A lot of joy in that car, isn't there? Nobody's gonna say amen. Come on, everybody's probably fighting on the way to church. I couldn't tell you how many times my wife, you know, her hair's not quite ready, but I'm like, we got to go. We... Not a lot of joy there, is there? But don't worry, we can find a lot of joy amongst Christians on Facebook, right? A lot of joy there. I mean, almost every post you see is filled with joy. True? No, we don't really see that either. Let me ask you a couple of questions. It's, just, it's, it's really one question It's just kind of flipped around. Does joy mark your life? And you can ask it like this. If I only had blank, I would have joy. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. If, if, what are you missing in your life that if you just had that, you would have joy? Now I want to back you up. I'm looking at... Gosh, I think... No, Jamie's got me beat. We're the old timers today. Okay, so I'm looking at a lot of young people. I want you to think back. I see some young married couples and somebody that's even talking about it and things like that. I want you to think about something for a moment. Do you remember the first time you men and you set your eyes on your bride that is sitting beside you and you thought, oh man, if only I could get her phone number. And maybe you did, and man, you was filled with joy, right? Well, then it was like, I wonder if she'll go out. I think this was, I, I did not get this from, from Josh over here. It sounded like I'm telling his story. Maybe, maybe not. But, but it just kept going, and then it came to the point where, you know, could we date? And then it's like, if I could only marry this girl, then I know that I would have joy, and my joy would be complete forever. Amen? <laughs> Well, it didn't work like that, does it? But that's the way that's the way we think. Or let me tell you, let me ask you the, no, the next question. What if if it was this? If I lost blank, I would lose my joy. What what do you find your joy in? You know, uh, think about it like this. I mean, you look at marriage, but look at at, at professions. I mean, gosh, I'm going to have to pick on Josh this time. I don't know what anybody else is doing, but. 
medical school. I mean, I can relate to this, not because I'm a doctor, okay? But I have a son-in-law that's an optometrist. And, and we, we, we were sent a lot of texts, you know, like, pray for me that I can get into this school. Just saw that the other day, right? Got accepted. Man, joy. We're doing the joy dance, right? The happy dance. We got in. What's going to happen in just a few days when the hard work comes? He's going to come home to Rachel. He's going to say, I hate this. This is not fun. She's like, wait a second. I thought you were so full of joy you got in this. You see, when we start looking at these things, we, we have to understand that joy is... We don't have joy because of circumstances. We don't have joy because of achievements in our life. Now, let me make this clear. Yes, we, we can have a temporal type joy in those things. In your circumstances. I mean, you know, when the day that you, you get married, there's a lot of joy in that day. The day that you have your first child. It could be your tenth child, but there's going to be joy in that. But, but it's not these things. I mean, think about it. We, we go get a, a good job and, and we want a good home. But, well, we want to make a lot of money. I hear this plan all the time. I want to get a good job, get a nice home, make a lot of money, and retire. And then I know that I'm going to have joy. Anybody ever heard of Tom Brady? Okay. Well, Tom Brady, after he won his fourth Super Bowl, not his seventh, but his fourth now, Tom Brady was extremely rich. Tom Brady had probably multiple homes. At the time, his wife, and I know this was a lie, but according to the world, he, he had married the most beautiful woman in the world. She had been on the cover of Sports Illustrated a number of times. But I know she wasn't that because I married her, Right? And, and so here's the thing. He, he had all of this, and now he's won his fourth Super Bowl. He's the MVP. And when asked you know, how he felt about everything, he said, you know, I thought that once I got to this place, there would be some kind of, I've made it. And it was just not there. It just wasn't there. Sadly, today, we see people still striving for riches, for popularity, to feel this thing, to have, you know, this, I'm going to call it joy, this satisfaction. Um, it's in, they put it in their careers, their hobbies. We even put it in family and friends. Um, think about this. Reformed churches. Man, when we got a hold of the doctrines of grace and we got a grasp on the five solas, we got an upper hand on everybody else, right? We, we've got so much joy, right one? But, but it, that doesn't sustain a person in joy, does it? We can go back and I can think about all the things I've learned and all of these things and, and sometimes I don't find the joy in my life. Not in my church life. Not in any of these things. Let me read something to you out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And I want to thank you all for not laughing while I was trying to read all the names. That's a tough group of names to try to read there in Nehemiah. Listen to what, he's, listen to what Solomon writes to us in, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I said in my heart, Come now, and I will test you with gladness, so that you shall see good things. And behold, it, was, it too was vanity. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of gladness, what does it do? I explored with my heart how to stimulate my body with wine, while my heart was guiding me wisely in how to seize simple-minded folly, until I could see where, where is this good for the sons of men and what they do under heaven the few days of their lives. He said, I made my works great. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made my gardens and parks and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made for myself pools of water from which to water a forest of growing trees. He says, I bought male and female slaves. I had home-born slaves. 
Also, I possess flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me. Think about this. He's saying, I had all kinds of gardens, all kinds of farms, all kinds. I was a rancher. I had servants to, to do everything that my heart desired. Doesn't stop there. He says, Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers. Now listen, he, he, he had not only concerts, but he had the best of concerts. I mean, anything that you wanted, Solomon was giving to himself. Everything. And this next part, he says, also he says, the pleasures of the sons of men. And my Bible's got a dash, and it says, many concubines. Solomon, what do you have? Like 700 wives and 300 concubines? Everything is heart desired. He says, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes asked for, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any gladness. For my heart was glad because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. And he says, And thus I turned to all my works which my hands had done, and the labor which I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no advantage under the sun. Where are we trying to find our joy? Wives, are you trying to find that in your husbands? Husbands, are you trying to find that in your wives? Have you given up on that and think you'll find it in your children? running them everywhere to play Little League ball or put them in dance or whatever it is that we can somehow have this joy. And listen, I'm not saying that we don't have a, a type of joy in these things, but I want you to know that these types of joy is temporal and it's fleeting. You think about family, for instance. I've seen a lot of times, you know, where there was a father and a son that had a just an incredible bond. And, and there's so much joy and they was doing things together, but it's temporal because one of the two is going to die before the other two and it's going to be gone. And then it's just going to be a memory. It's going to be something talked about of the joy that they always had. Like a son would be talking about the joy me and my dad would have going camping or whatever it is. So where's your joy today? Does joy mark your life? Are you void of joy until you get this? Whatever, you fill in the blame. Or you, maybe you've got it, but if you lost this, would you lose your joy? You see, the joy, this joy is from Yahweh. It, it's, not, it's not dependent upon these things. But let me back up just for a moment and just let me give you what, what joy is. Just think of this. It is gladness or to, to make glad. It is to rejoice. That's where we get rejoice. When we rejoice in song and in praise, it comes out of the joy that we have inside. Another definition though is this. It is to be joined. And you think, what, is, what does that mean? Well, we're, we're going to get to that here pretty quick. The, the joy that we're talking about is from Yahweh. It is not dependent upon circumstances or achievements or gifts or any monetary type things. It's not based upon materialism. It is based on none of those things. You see, I'm going to show you something. In, in Habakkuk chapter 3, and I had to write my page numbers down here. In Habakkuk chapter three, listen to this. And I want to tell you, I want to just think when you when you listen to these words, does this describe you? Habakkuk gets to the end of, of this little book and it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there and there be no produce on the vines. And though the yield of all the, of the olives should fail, and the, and the fields yield no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, 
and there be no cattle in the stalls. I mean, what he's saying in our terms is this. Even on the day when I lose my job, even on the day when there's no more food in the cupboards, even on the day when there's no more money to go out and buy anything else, He says, yet I will exult in Yahweh. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. George Mueller, that had the orphanages in England, he had a he was probably the guy that started that what you know what like heart cry practices today. Where he wanted an unbelieving world to know that there is a God who lives. And he sees all these orphans running the streets in England and he starts gathering them up. And he didn't ask for anybody to donate to this. He didn't ask for people to support the ministry. On purpose, he said, I want people to know that we serve a God who hears and answers prayer. And there came a time when They had no food. They had nothing to give the orphans. And George Mueller, when you read the the biography of it, it is just constantly him going to prayer. And I mean, you know, it'll be like day one, you know, we have no money. I'm really praying about this. And it's like three weeks later, the same situation. There's, There's less money. There's less of everything. But I feel strong today that God's going to move. And then it's like a month. And I'm just sitting there about to, you know, I'm getting panicky reading these things. But on this certain day, they got all the orphans up just like on every day. And they set them at the table. And George says, let's bow our heads and give God thanks for what we're about to receive. Can you do that? Can you find joy in the Lord even when there's, from, from, from just appearance, there's nothing to rejoice in? See, on that day when they gave thanks, as he's praying, there was a knock on the door. And it was the baker. And he said, I've got this bread. He says, I just feel like the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and told me to bake for the orphans. And they no more than got that in, they heard another knock. And it was the milk guy. Back then they carted it around and it broke right in front of the orphanage. And he says, it's going to run. He said, just take it. Now, see, we will rejoice and find joy in the end of that. But are we able to find joy before God moves? See, because our joy is not in... Ultimately, it's not in what God does for us. Our joy ultimately is in God. It's in God Himself. You see in Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through through 19, listen to this. Jesus had sent the 70 out, and, and now it says the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I mean, I want you to picture this. He's, he sent you out and you've gone out and, and not only have you been healing people and doing these miraculous things, but even the demons were subject unto you in the name of Christ. And He said to them, He said, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Man, we would rejoice in that, wouldn't we? Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. That's where our joy comes from. Listen to this. You see, this joy, it, 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 remember, one of those definitions up there was to be joined. This joy, it, it comes from being joined or united to Christ. You turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. You know, the other night, we well, I don't know, was it last Friday or Friday before last? Can't even keep up now. But one of them Friday nights, we went to Brady's and Trisha's house and 
And one shared his testimony. And he told about, you know, when he was an unbeliever sitting at a table. I don't want to hear this. I don't have time for this. I've got a pocket full of money. But God, but God, rich in mercy, broke through. This God loves me? This God wants me? Tell me more. See, here's what the problem though is. Listen to this. I want to pick up in verse 11. He says, Remember that you, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. He says, Remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's where you were. You had nothing. No hope, no God, no promises. You had nothing to look forward to except the wrath and the damnation of God in your sin. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who made both groups one and broke down the dividing wall of partition by abolishing in His flesh the enmity of the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in Himself He might create the two into one new man making peace. Do you see what we're talking about here? Your joy is because you are joined to Yahweh Himself. That's where the Christian's joy should come from. I had a friend, it, it kind of helps us understand it like this. I had a friend one time that needed a job. He needed a job desperately. And he was living in Kansas and a, and a friend of his said, hey, come down here to Texas. It was way out in the middle of nowhere. It was a factory out there. And he says, he says show up. He says, somebody will come to the gate. And they'll say, do we have any machinists out here? He says, just tell them you're a machinist. Here's the problem. He really wasn't a machinist. He didn't know anything about it. And another thing he didn't know about was there was about 500 other men out there wanting a job. But a man came out, came to the gate, had a fence all the way around. He couldn't get to the building. He had, he had to be let in and all this. And he says, is anyone here a machinist? And my buddy just raised his hand. He said, yeah, right here. And they let him through. Was he deserving of this job? I mean, he really wasn't a machinist, was he? I mean, if he said, here's your machine, get with it, what's he going to do? He probably can't even turn it on. But here's what he did. He knew he was undeserving. But you know what? He was thrilled. He was overjoyed that he now had a job in some very desperate times. And he got in there, and, and in that company, the machinists were like the top of the food chain there. They, they were the ones that were kind of superior to everybody else. This was the job you wanted to have. And he says, here's the way we did. He said, they had breaks. I think it was a union company. and anyway, They would have breaks. And he says, during break time, I wouldn't stop. I'd grab a broom and I would start sweeping up. I'd be cleaning up, doing all this. And they would say, hey man, get over here. We're machinists. Let them other people do that stuff. Now he had a plan. See, he knew he was undeserving. He was unworthy of the job. He had a feeling that they were going to catch him. And if they did catch him, he didn't want to lose a job. They wanted him to see, he wanted them to see that he was such a good worker, they would keep him on. Just give him a less, lesser job. But what happened was he made a deal with one of the old timers. He said, teach me how to do this and I'll do all your grunt work. And guess what happened? He became a machinist. And you know what else happened? He forgot. He forgot what it was like when he didn't have a job. He forgot how thrilled he was when he was the guy chosen to get this job. And now he had this sense of entitlement. Church, this is what has happened to so many in the Reformed camp. We have all the understanding. We have all the knowledge. I mean, we can't do. I mean, 
The only joy we find is when we battle it out over is it credo or is it pedo baptism? Is it the Byzantine text or is it the Alexandrian text? I mean, these guys, I'm not going to deny it, they are way smarter than I am. I promise you that. I promise you that. But I would rather, I would rather sit in a group full of joy filled Christians who love their God and love one another than to sit in a room full of seminary trained intellectuals who couldn't make a smile if you paid them to. I'd much rather have that. Listen to me. Here's another one. You need to remember this. You need to remember where you were. Don't ever forget where you... No, we're not supposed to dwell in that. But don't forget where you were and don't forget the joy you had when you first came to Christ. Wait a second. You mean, you mean this God you're telling me about loves me? This God would send His Son to die for me? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Not, not in the least. And if you think it does, you need to repent. Because you weren't worthy no more than anybody else. What about Job? Can you imagine Job? What if everything was taken from you? I mean, every bit of livestock. Every child you had. Your wife remained with you. But it says that when this happened... Job bowed himself and worshipped God. Naked came I into this world, and naked I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What if it was taken? What if those things were taken? Do you think that's a myth? Do you think it's just a, a really good tale to kind of give us the idea? What if God took the things that were dearest to you. There's a, a missionary, I think, I, she may be passed away now, but her name was Helen Rosevere. She was from Ireland and she was a missionary in Africa. She was a doctor. And, and when she went to Africa, she, she had all of her medical books. She had all of her, you know, uh, you know, com, you know, all, you know uh, spiritual books, scriptural books, all of these things. And one day... The, the villagers had been trying to put a new roof on her house. And so she finally agreed because where they were at in this time of the year, it never rains. It never rains there. So they take the roof off of her little hut or whatever it was. And guess what? It didn't just rain. It come an absolute downpour. She is broken. She's asking God why why would you why would you allow my, my medical books to be destroyed? Why would you take all of my books that I brought? Why would you allow them to be destroyed? Do you know why God does this stuff sometimes? He does not have your attention. He is not the source of your joy. He's the gift giver, but we're worshiping the gift and not the gift giver. The joy of Yahweh is our strength. You want to know why there's so many weak Christians out there today? Because God is not their joy. Their joy is found in other things and it's temporal and it's fleeting and they ebb and flow and they're up and they're down. It's just like that. Have you ever been around somebody that is just full of the joy of the Lord? It's contagious. You don't want to get away from them. You're hoping that you can just somehow rub shoulders against them and maybe it'll fall on you. What about the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3? Listen to this. One of my favorite passages of Scriptures. He says this. Verse 7. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish 
so that I may gain Christ. Now listen to this. He says, I count them as rubbish. He didn't say that those things were trash. He didn't say that those things were rubbish or garbage or refuse. He says, in compared to the incomparableness of Jesus Christ, He says, that's what they are to me. You know what? This week, I'll just be honest with you. This week, I, I was really having a rough time early in the week. I just thought, what's the point in all of this? You say, well, all of what? Christianity. What's the point in it? I started thinking, why do I care? Why do I care to go to a church and try to to, to revitalize or to reform it, to, to try to help it get on the right way. And it feels like, you know, not everybody's always for you. Well, why do I care to go out and try to preach the gospel when, you know, you're going to get flipped off and cussed out and people are asking, how many people got saved? Uh, none again. And I just thought, I looked at my own life and I thought, I don't seem to be, be very joyful. And I thought, why? What, what's the purpose? Why, why all the energy and time? And it's not just doing it right now. It never leaves me. I mean, it's always on my mind, these things. And the success rate is pretty low. It's kind of like my golf game. You know, I may shoot 104, but I'm going to tell you about that one cool shot. And it's that one that's going to make me go back and do it again. So listen. I got down and I, I, I think it was yesterday. It might have been the day before. I can't remember. I just got down to the foot of my bed and I began to pray. And I was confessing these things to the Lord. This is when it was all kind of coming out. Lord, what's the point? Why? And, and, I, and, and like a couple weeks ago, we, we, we got to see that movie, uh, Richard Wormbrandt's wife. It's called Sabina. It's kind of hard to complain when you look at their life, isn't it? Let's be honest. Not only is it hard to complain, but in their life, they seem to be full of joy the entire time. In this movie, there was this one scene, and as I was praying, this movie scene flashed through my mind, and the scene was this. She had just found out that her family, who were unbelieving Jews, had been arrested, taken off, and put to death. They were slaughtered. And when she finds out the news, and the scene is she just breaks, she crumbles on the floor, she's bawling. And then, just a little while later, there's a man staying with a person that they had, I think they had converted, and he worked for the bad guys. And when Richard Rombrandt figured out who he was, he made it a point to invite him to their, their little apartment. And he was sharing the Gospel with this man. And then he tells him this. He says, my wife is in the bedroom in there. And you, this guy was asking the question, there's no God, prove to me there's a God. And he says, you, you've murdered my wife's family. But I can tell you this, if I go in there, she's going to come out and she's going to serve you. She'll fix you a meal. She'll forgive you. And she'll... He says, you're crazy. And Richard Warren gets up. And he goes and wakes up his wife. And he says, the man that did this is in our living room. And she gets up. And she walks in there. And she puts her hands on this man's cheeks. And she kisses him on one cheek. And she kisses him on the other cheek. She kisses him on his forehead. And said, I forgive you. From her words, like the narrator was like it was her. She said, from the time that I was married till I died, there was only two men that I kissed. My husband and this man that had murdered my family. And that man became a Christian. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes in all of that that we're trying to do and all that we're trying to learn, we lose the simplicity that there is in Christ. We lose that joy and it's gone and we don't even realize it. When Paul is talking here about everything being rubbish, he's saying this, Christ is so much that I'm willing to lose everything that I could have Him, that I could win Christ. Everything. That if you took everything from me, you cannot take the joy I have because it is in none of these things. We just had to sell our house that we built 20, 21 years ago to move over to another place. It was hard on my wife. It was hard on me. And you have to come to this place. It's just a house. If the Lord wants you here, then go. You see, listen, this joy can be found in trials, brethren. I've got to hurry. I know that. This joy, this joy can be found in trials. Listen, isn't it, isn't it, nobody has this on their wall in their kitchen. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Nobody ever puts that on Facebook and goes, here's my life verse. They don't do that, do we? Count it all joy when you fall into trials? Well, who thinks like that? I mean, what about in, in 1 Peter over here in chapter 1? I feel like I've lost y'all. Y'all look like you're... I think that weird dream I'm having is coming to life. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter is talking over here about all the things that God has done for us. He says... He's caused us to be born again. This is in verse 3, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that we, we've obtained an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading having been kept in heaven for you. We're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now listen, he says, in this you greatly rejoice even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So, we're to have joy in trials, but he says we're being grieved in them. But here's where the joy comes from. Listen. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, that it may be, it may, may be found to result, listen, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the things you're going through are greater than all the gold? If you piled it up in the world, it's more valuable than that. Why? Because God is conforming you to the image of Christ. And everything He's doing in you, for you, it is for His glory and the glorifying of Jesus Christ. It's making much of His name in this world. That's where we find our joy. Listen, you skip over to chapter 4 and look at this. In verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. These fiery trials, I mean, think about it, before 2020 hit, we didn't know about COVID and all the panic that came after that. And you have Christians fighting and warring against Christians in this. Where was, where, did I, I didn't, there wasn't much joy. In, you know, we didn't look at that as an opportunity for the gospel. We just, it was panic mode. And he says, look, these things are going to happen. Persecution is going to happen. Look at over in Ukraine. I don't know who's the good guys and the bad guys. I don't believe anything that comes across the media. I'll just tell you straight up. Might be true, might not be true. Who the world knows? I don't. But something's going on. But I do know this. There are Christians that are losing their houses, even probably being killed. But in that, the Gospel door has been opened. And when people that have lost all hope and they've lost all joy and everything that this world had to offer even there, they can look at these poor, pathetic Christians and go, they still have joy. Why? And the gospel can go forth in a way that it probably hasn't been able to. But look here, he says, we're not to think it's strange, but he says, but to the degree 
You're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Do you get that? Let me say it again. Keep on rejoicing. You're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. So keep on rejoicing so at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. What's it going to be like when we go through this life and we've complained and kicked and threw a fit the whole way? Isn't it a fun trip with the kids when you take them somewhere, you want them to have a great time, and all weapons like, are we there? Da, da, da. I'm thirsty, I'm angry. And then you get there. This was our week. At the, this was this week. We went to the zoo. Got <laughs> all these cool animals. I mean, there's a gorilla, silverback, the big boys. I mean, like, if I could have reached to the glass, he ain't two feet from me, my boys are going. Can we do that penny thing? Can we do that penny thing? Yeah, let's go pay a buck to get a penny. That's a genius <laughs> idea. <laughs> but here's the thing. We don't want to be complaining the whole way and get to the end. We want to be rejoicing right now. We want joy right now. It's one of the marks of being a Christian. So listen to this. Think about this. Do you remember when Peter and John, they got threatened once for preaching, right? They said, don't do this again. They go right back out. They preach again. They get threatened again. Not only to get threatened, but this time... It says they were beaten. And, in, and when they got beaten, now they didn't do this. They didn't go, wow, man, I don't know what that was all about. I thought, you know, following Jesus, it was all supposed to be really good and awesome, right? Your best life now, <laughs> right? Come on, are y'all, just that, are y'all that tired? <laughs> okay, that's a book that I don't want y'all buying, but anyway... The thing of it is, no, it says they went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. You go to Acts chapter 16, and Paul and Silas, had, had the Macedonian called, they went, women were saved, a woman that had an evil spirit, it was taken out of her. I mean, there's good things happening, right? So God will just tremendously bless us in ways that we just can't imagine. Well, actually what happened was they get arrested, they get beat, they get put in prison, not only in prison, but in the inner prison. And the Scripture says that at about midnight, they began to pray and to sing praises to God. Can I ask you a question? If your joy is in the Lord, the thing about this, remember the joy of Yahweh is our strength. How in the world could you be beaten and put in the inner stock, the inner prison in the stocks? These stocks were not comfortable. They stretched you out. It was painful to be beaten and then be left like this. But they rejoiced. Their joy was in Yahweh, and that was their strength. What is, what is, what is Satan going to do with people when they're persecuted, when they're tried? But yet their joy is in the Lord and they can't steal that from them. In the movie, Torture for Christ, or in the book also, there's this one scene where where Brand he's beaten pretty much daily, along with several others. It wasn't just him. And and he just he won't quit praying. I mean, they you know, their deal was this. They said, Look, uh, us and the guards had a deal. Uh, they told us that, you know, if, if we keep preaching and praying, they're going to beat us and and you know, and says so. We kept you know preaching and praying, and 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 they kept beating us. So everybody was happy. You know, everybody got to do what they wanted to do. But there was one scene in there where Wormbrand's been beat over and over and over, and the guy comes in, and there he is praying, and he says, Wormbrand, you're a fool. He says, you keep praying. We keep beating you, yet you keep praying. He says, your God is not. Freed you, your God has not done anything. What is there left to pray for? And he looks up at this guy and he says, Oh, I was praying for you. <laughs> that, that doesn't come from anything but God Himself. It doesn't come from anything but God. 
And that's where you find strength, church. There's also what happens to our joy. I'm, I, Brady, how long have I been preaching? Have you been catching the time? Three forty-five right now. I don't know what that means. When did I start? Alright. I bet my wife's not laughing. You see, what happens to our joy? Well, sin gets in. And when sin gets in, it steals our joy, doesn't it? But I want you to know something. This joy is given in restoration. Listen to what listen to what David says. This is Psalm 51. This is the psalm that David wrote, prayed after his sin and sinning with Bathsheba and putting Uriah to death. I mean, he was guilty of pretty much almost all the Ten Commandments. And this is what David's prayer. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from Your presence and do not take Your Holy Spirit from me. Now listen to this. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation. It's not even ours. It's His salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. Even when we have been in sin, and that joy has gone. We've grieved the Holy Spirit. We, we find that conviction inside that is just almost unbearable if it wasn't for God's Holy Spirit. But when we humble ourselves and we come to Him in brokenness, in repentance, and we say, create in me a clean heart. Don't take Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation of your salvation. So the last thing I probably want to say is this. The joy of Yahweh is our strength. I want to read some of these promises that God has given us. But I want to start in chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 3. He says, To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. One, he moved on me. He was right here. Well, I heard one's testimony. When the shepherd called out, he, he refused, he refused, refused until the light of the Gospel of Jesus Christ broke that heart of stone. And he says, I want more of this. And he started following the shepherd. Well, not only does, does he call us, listen, I want you to know something today. He didn't just say, hey, all you sheep, come. No, he said it like this. He said, Kelsey, come. Justin, come. He calls you by name. He laid down his life for you in verse 15, the same chapter. He said, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Think about this. Isn't it, isn't it something how when we know the joy is not there like it is, we can read the Gospel account. We can read about the crucifixion and go right through it and go, I just missed it all. But we got to back up and remember He laid down His life for me. He died in my place. Every sin that I was ever going to commit, He said, Father, put them on me. Not only that, but in 10.27, I mean, think about this. I want to ask you this question. Do you hear His voice today? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you hear what He's saying today? Now listen to these promises. Matthew 28.20, as He's sending His disciples out, and that comes to us today, He makes this promise. I am with you always. Promise. It's not conditional, it's promise. In Hebrews 13.5, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. 
If you ever feel those times and you feel like God's just not with me no more, that there may be a separation in the relationship, but it's not because God has forsaken you or left you. I've got to read this one. Romans chapter 8. He says, I'll just start in verse 33, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, this is where when we think and we meditate upon the promises of God, our hearts should be filled with the joy of the Lord. The joy that comes only from Yahweh. It's, what, it's where our strength comes from. When you see somebody that is full of joy, they're ready to take on anything in front of them. They're not afraid. John 14, he talks about, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. So let me ask you this. Does joy describe your life? Where do we find joy when it's gone? Where we only find it in the Lord. But I want to, re- I want to remind you of something. When we, when we read our opening chapter, our opening verse there, What was going on? They gathered the people for what? The reading of the Word of the Lord, right? Listen to what what it says right here in John 15, beginning in verse 7. Jesus says this, He says, If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be My disciples. Just as the Father has loved Me, I have also loved you. Abide in My love. Do you get what He's saying here? Abiding in His words. Abiding in His love. Doing what God has told us to do. Being obedient. verse 10 He says, if you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you. Now listen. So that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding in His words? Uh, I'll leave you with this one testimony, one story. There was an old preacher named Gypsy Smith years ago. He's passed on now. I heard this from Vance Havner, who was also an old Baptist preacher, and he's passed on. But he told a story about this old man named Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith was not educated. He was not seminary trained or anything close to it. The story went like this: that Gypsy, when he he wasn't a real good reader and stuff like that, but he would get to a passage, and he said when he came to a word that he didn't know what it was, he said I would stop right before that word, and I would elaborate some, and then I'd pick up after that word and continue on. He was a lively guy like that. He was an evangelist, and God used him mightily. At the age of eighty-seven, he was interviewed. And he was asked, Gypsy, after all of these years of your preaching, how is it that your, your preaching is still so lively and fresh? And here's what he said. 
I have never lost the wonder. I've never lost the wonder. Do we see Jesus for who He is? You can't see Him if you're not abiding in His words. If you're not abiding in His words, you're not abiding in His love. He's he's wrote these things so that His joy would remain in us and so that our joy would be complete. When John wrote 1 John, he bookends it like this. He starts off in chapter 1 and he says, how does he say it? He says, uh, I write that your joy may be full. And he ends it over here. He says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you have no joy, then you really don't have any peace. And if you don't have peace, you're not pursuing righteousness. Church, it's time that we start applying ourselves. Not in a way of legalistic, but it's just a coming to Him and saying, God, wash me. Rekindle that fire in my heart. Oh Lord, let You be everything to me. I want You to be all my joy because I have no strength anywhere else. And in all the gifts that God has given us, yes, find joy, rejoice in those, but never put them before the true joy which is Yahweh. Father, I just want to bow before You this morning and I pray God that You would just be with us, that You would just bless our time together. We thank You, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.